All right, this is the last sermon on money. Don't clap. Do not clap about that. Do not be happy about that. Um, we have learned a lot, haven't we, about what the Bible says about money. It's very, very important what we do with our money. Jesus said, what you do with your money reveals your real heart. You know, we can say what our real heart is. We can talk about what's most important to us. But Jesus said, what you do with your money shows, it reveals the truth about your heart. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. We're in a time of economic um, instability. We're, a time, we're in a time where, uh, you know, even the people who lead us don't know what's going on or what to do or how to turn it around, and everybody's trying everything, and everybody's saying we need to do something different. What we need to do is stop listening to what men are saying. Look at what Jesus says. And remember that Jesus spoke about the economy. As a matter of fact, Jesus had more to say about money than he had to say about heaven. Jesus had more to say about money than he had to say about hell. Jesus had more to say about money than any other person in the Bible. Not because Jesus needs our money or God needs our money or heaven needs our money. I mean, when the streets are paved with gold, I don't really think they need our money. But what God says is that money is such a root part of our lives. How we use it, the, the way we view it, the way we perceive it, the way we think about it and spend it and the way we're generous with it or the way we're very tight with it or whatever. He said it reveals all about us. And here's what Jesus said. So simple. So simple. Matthew chapter 6 verses 31 through 34. If you don't get anything else I say, this is so simple. He said, if you will put your faith and trust in me and make me number one in your life, put me on the top. And if you will obey my word, he said, it doesn't matter what happens in the economy, I'm going to take care of you. I mean, what an awesome promise. Now, you know, the reason he has the right to ask for our lives is because he gave us his. He gave his life for us. And now he says, now, in Romans 12 and 1 and 2, he says, now offer yourself back to me, not dead, but what kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. He said, I just want your life. And what he was saying by that was, is I want your talent. I want you to let me take your talent and use it to build the kingdom. Now, God gave every one of us talents. And, and he doesn't mind if we use our talents to make money. Some of you have used your talent to make a very good living. Some of you have used your talent and skills and abilities and your intellect and, and just your natural inclinations. You have used that to, to make a very good living for yourself. God doesn't mind that. But that's not the main reason he gave you that talent. That is not the primary reason he put that gift in you. The primary reason for your talents and the primary reason for your gifts is that you would use them in the body of Christ to build up the kingdom of God in this world before Jesus returns. Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back. And he's going to set up his rule in Jerusalem and, and he will rule this world. But before he comes, he wants us to continue. Book of Acts says this, first chapter 
to continue what he started when he came here. So he put giftings and abilities and talents in us so that we would use them. So when I, when I tell you that God wants your life, you probably go, what does that mean? He wants you to use your talent, find to use it for your career, find to use it to make money. But primarily the gifts you have were to be used in the body of Christ, to be used in the local church. The second thing he wants from you when he says, I want your life, is he wants your treasure. And we've talked about that, and we'll talk about that more. But he also wants your time. He wants you to tithe, excuse me, he wants you to tithe not only your money, but your time. He needs your time in service, in ministry to him. Gathering as we're gathered here this morning. I don't know about you all, but I need this. I need to come here on Sunday morning. I need to go to the bridge on Thursday and Saturday night. I need to be here on Wednesday night. I need you like flowers need sunshine and rain. You encourage me. You bless me. It does me good to be around you. Because I have to go back out there in a world that is dark and filled with the spirit of Antichrist. So he says, I need your time. Let's come together. Let's come together and worship and serve together. So Jesus said, if you will... Put me first, do the things I say, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Now, there are five things that we uh, have gone through. We've gone through three of them. We'll go through two more today. But there are five things that Jesus says he wants us to do, God says he wants us to do, in relation to our money. Now listen, he says if you will do these five things, I will put my hand on your finances. Now I don't know about y'all. But I need his hand on my finances. Now, when I think about his hand on my finances, you know, most people, when they think about that, they think, oh, does that mean God's just going to multiply my finances and he's just giving me more money, 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 money. Okay, good. Okay, so most people think that's what he's going to do when he puts his hand on our finances. Listen, how many of you know when the little boy bought the, brought the bread and the fish, to, to, to Jesus, and there were 15,000 people at least to feed, and all he had was five biscuits and two sardines. See, now I know y'all try to help God in that Bible story. And you go, you know, five loaves and two fish, and you're, and you're trying to help God, you know. And so you go, loaves of bread like sunbeam, ro- loaves of bread like you buy at the grocery store. No, these were little biscuits, little little. Uh, pieces of bread and what they would do back then is they would just throw in a couple of sardines to smell up the bread and give it a little flavor yummy honestly it was just like a little tiny amount of food you know we try to help God it was uh five big loaves of bread and two 10 pound bass like that's going to make a difference with 15,000 people so it was just a tiny little lunch Jesus put his hands on it. Jesus put his hands on it. The Bible says he took that little boy's lunch and blessed it. And then he fed. Now you say, how do you know there's 15,000 people? Well, the Bible says there was 5,000 men plus women and children. Now back in Bible times, if you put a woman with every man, and I don't know anybody in the Bible who had one kid. Do y'all? They had them by the litter in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. So there, I mean, if you just put one kid and one wife with every man, that's 15,000. So there are probably way more than 15,000. And when they got through eating that day, 
because Jesus had put his hands on that bread and fish. When he took it up, he had 12 basketfuls of food left over. <laughs> the math don't make any sense. Can you imagine what that little boy went through when he got home that day? His mom would go, where in the world did you get all that? And then he told, he probably said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you know? He's probably in trouble. Jesus got him in trouble. Boy, where are you at? You stole that. Get in here. I'm going to tear you up. But when God puts his hand on your five loaves and two fish, miraculous things happen. That's what Jesus meant when he said, it doesn't matter to me what happens in the economy of the world. I am almighty God. And if you will put me first in your life and obey me, I will put my hand on your life the way I put it on the life of that little boy. And your needs will be met unbelievable. You won't even be able to explain it. Explain it to me, I cannot explain it to you. Matter of fact, I love what Dr. Stephen Olford said, one of the greatest preachers who've ever lived, and he's, he's gone to heaven now. Dr. Stephen Olford said, he was talking to a bunch of pastors. He said, if everything that's going on in your church can be explained through logical terms, he said, then you're not letting God move in your church. There ought to be stuff going on in this church that we go, I don't know. Amen? Amen. That's what happened with the bread and fish. When that boy got home that day, he went, Mama, don't beat me. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. So what do we do? What are these five things that we do so God will put his hand on our bread and fish? Amen? Number one, dedicate it all to God. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, dedicate it to him. Have a dedication ceremony in your house. I don't care how you do it. Light some candles. Bring in the family. Hold up the checkbook. Dedicate that to God. Amen? Hold up the house. Well, that's, you can't hold up the house. But get a little model of a house and hold it up. Let the kids see. Father, we dedicate Dedicate everything. Your talent, your possessions, your material goods, your time, everything. Get the calendar and hold it up and go, God, we dedicate the, our schedule to you. Whatever you want God to bless. Wherever you're struggling in your life right now. If you will just dedicate it to him, God blesses whatever you dedicate to him. Whatever you dedicate to him, God blesses. He said in Romans 12 and 1, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, love it. Eating, love it. Going to work. You're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Isn't that beautiful? Number two, give the first part back to God. Now you dedicate how much? All, you give 10%, at least. That's a minimum. You give 10%, the first part back to God. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns, how much? To overflow. If God didn't mean that, he would not have said it. If God didn't mean that, he wouldn't have put it in the Bible. We're talking about tithing here. Tithing. And by the way, when we have a baptismal service, we hold you under till you say tithe. Till it comes up in the bubble. Tithing is not about money, it is about faith in God. 
Tithing is not about money. We already said God doesn't need your money. Tithing is about trust. It's about obedience. Tithing is not a financial issue. It is a heart issue, a spiritual issue. Number three, save for the future. So what are we saying? Dedicate it all to God. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. We talked about this last week. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.20, the wise man saves for the future, but the doofus spends whatever he gets. That's Greek, doofus. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Throughout the Bible, Jesus says, God says, Old Testament and New Testament, wise people do this, foolish people do this. Wise people do this, foolish people do this. When he comes to money, he says, wise people save, foolish people spend. Spend it all. Spend it all. Proverbs 13, 11, money that comes easily disappears how? But money that is gathered little by little, that means consistent saving. Not a whole bunch, not a whole bunch, not enough that just, you know, just makes your, <laughs> excuse me, makes your life miserable. But little by little, just save a little bit each month. He says it will what? Grow. Now, if that's not true, he wouldn't have said it. These are not little sayings. These are not little cross-ditch things we put on the wall. These are not Nuggets of wisdom. These are scriptures from the Bible. This is the word of the living God. Hear it. Receive it. All right. Number four. And this is what we'll talk about today. Repay what you owe. Aren't you all excited about this? This is a fabulous sermon. Pay your debts. Pay your debts. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. Pay the people you owe third. Proverbs 3.27 says, don't withhold repayment of your debts. Don't do it. Romans 13.8 says, let no debt remain outstanding. Can I just say something to you today? Can I preach it straight up this morning? If you owe somebody and you can't pay them, go talk to them. Go talk to them. Don't shun them. Don't hide from them. You might owe somebody in this church. Don't come in church and go... Amen? Just walk right up to them and go, um, hey, man, listen, I know we had an agreement, and uh, I've had some stuff happen in, in my business, and I tell you what, I can't do what we agreed on. I simply cannot do it, but I tell you what I will do. I can do this amount, but as soon as I get things going again, we'll, I'll go right back to what we agreed on. Go talk to somebody. You say, well, what if they get mad and blow up? Then they're the ones got the problem. You did the right thing. How many of y'all know God blesses it when we do the right thing? Do the right thing. Amen, amen. Pay the people you owe. Ann Lander said most of us would be willing to pay as we go if we could just finish paying for where we've already been. Amen. I can't pay as I go because I'm still paying for where I've been. Sometimes a foolish decision in life will set you up for tension the rest of your life. A momentary foolish decision will set you up for pressure for years to come. Oh, man, I've got to confess something to y'all today. You know, you get overextended on a car, you can get overextended on a house, you get overextended on a credit card. Oh, man, if I confess something, will y'all still love me? Let me tell you what I, what I did. Dumbest thing I've ever done. Two words, timeshare. I believed them. 
don't believe them. <laughs> I don't know how they go to bed at night, buddy, but they will lie to you to sell you a timeshare. Now, I know some of y'all are hanging your head. Don't hang your head. I love you. You love me. But we've done it, haven't we? And some of y'all might say, well, I just love my timeshare. Well, y'all know what a timeshare is, don't you? All you got to do is just go one weekend to listen to them and, whoo, it's something else. Here's what you do. When you go to one of those weekends, you enjoy the resort, you enjoy the place, and you enjoy everything at a real low price or even free sometimes. And then when you go to that sales pitch, keep going, no, 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 no. Do you have to go to the bathroom? No. <laughs> just keep saying no. Do not ask them any questions. They will think you're interested. Keep saying no. You say, yeah, but they went and got the big boss. He's nobody. Does anybody vaguely know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> oh, man. Can I just tell you all my times your story? I've paid two companies $500 each to sell my timeshare. I've never gotten a single call from either company. Dumb. And y'all look like you're sitting out there going, I would never do anything like that. Well, then, then I just thought, well, you know what? I'm going to just give it back to them. So I called him up and I said, hey, I'm tired of paying over $800 a year for you to mow the grass and I don't even have a yard at my timeshare. <laughs> Anybody out there relating to this? I said, I want to give you my week back. I want to give it to you. Just take it. I'm tired of paying the annual. They said that'll be $250. <laughs> I ain't kidding you. I said, you're going to charge me to give you my week back? Yes, sir, paperwork. Man, I'll get me some, I'll get me a job doing that kind of paperwork, baby. Man, I'm just telling you guys, you can make a foolish decision in a moment of feeling and emotion, and you're surrounded by beauty. You're surrounded, you think you're in heaven. I thought this was only going to be in heaven. Paddle boats. <laughs> I mean, I saw these little paddle boats, people on paddle boats, and I saw these jet skis. And he said, these jet skis, you know, the, the, the timeshare people own those. They own the paddle boats. And then there was a little golf course out there where you could uh, hit like on a par three. And they said, we own that. that. That'll be available to you. So when I came down to stay the first time, it all cost extra. Oh, man. I didn't ask any questions because I knew that God had just given me this wonderful opportunity to own one week out of the year. But I am going to give it back to him. I'm going to pay the 250 and give it back. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the rest of our life, we just keep on playing catch-up. And when we keep on playing catch-up, after we get ourselves in a mess, there's tension. It causes tremendous pressure and tension. Let me give you very quickly the two 
greatest causes of, of debt. Excuse me. Two greatest causes of debt. Number one, number one, we don't plan how we're going to spend our money. We don't plan it. We don't plan how we're going to spend it. We just spend. You know, we get paid first of the month, first of the week. We just walk into Walmart and we think, we're rich. We haven't thought about all the other stuff we've got to pay for. We just know we got money now. And so we don't plan. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 21.5? Plan what? And you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will own a timeshare. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. What a verse. What an awesome verse. Financial freedom is not based on how much you make. Financial freedom is based on how you spend what you make. Do you hear me? I'm going to say something and you're probably not going to agree with it right off, but come up to me and after church and I'll forgive you. Now listen. Listen to this. You can live financially free on any income level if you spend right. If you plan your spending right. You say, man, I, I don't know, Pastor. Let me tell you something. If you make $20,000 a year, you are richer than 95% of the people who live in this world. You make more money than 95% of the people who live in this world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Most people in this building right now would be considered rich when you compare us to the world, to everybody in the world, and the income levels all over the world. In most countries, if people made what you make, you would be one of the wealthiest people in that country. So we've got to wake up and see that it isn't the income, it's how we plan it. And how we spend it and make sure we don't waste it. I always hear people say, oh, if I could just make a little bit more, then that would stop. No, if you're not planning your spending on what you're making now, you're not going to plan it on a little bit more. How many of y'all know some people who, who really look like they got a whole bunch of stuff and they're under more financial pressure than anybody else? And it just, and it, and it just looks like they got all this stuff and they do, but man, they can't even go to McDonald's. Because they don't have enough. They got way more month than they got money. Having a little more is not going to solve your financial problems. Um, Howard Hughes. Y'all remember Howard Hughes or remember reading about him, hearing about him? Somebody asked him one time, how much is enough? He said, a little more. A little more. And he was a billionaire. He always wanted a little more. Financial freedom is based on how you plan your spending, and you have to have a plan. In Proverbs 21.5 that we just read to you, that is Solomon talking there. He says, if you plan your spending, you'll have plenty. If you don't plan your spending, you will never have enough. That's right out of the Bible. That's not Pastor Farrell, that's the Bible. And what he's talking about there is what we would call in our modern day impulse buying. Buying on impulse. Buying based on emotion, unplanned expenditures, buying without thinking about it. Our entire consumer uh, advertising is built on impulse buying. Everything you see on TV, everything you see in the newspaper, every ad you see on a billboard, <coughs> almost everyone 
is based on trying to get you to buy on impulse. Remember that. Remember that. Here's a word that will mess you up. I'm about to give you a word that will mess you up. It will mess up your mind. It will mess up your life. It is the word, very simple, four-letter word, very ugly word. Sale. It's on and we go in and we go, it's got a red dot. <laughs> Amen? And Millie comes home, throws all this stuff. Baby, I'm never going to wear that right there. I don't wear wife beater shirts. Why? <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to see me. Y'all know what a wife beater is, don't you? Look it up. I, nobody wants to see me in a white beater, baby. Nobody wants to see you. Why have we got these? Red dot. They got the red. Y'all know what a red dot sale is, don't you? I mean, it's already on sale, and then they put a red dot on it, and it's mo on sale. It's on sale some mo. Because here's what y'all think. You think that if you can get the right coupon and hit that red dot just right, belts will owe you money when you buy something. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. People say, I went and there was this sale, and I say, if you bought something, you ain't saved jack. <laughs> saving is when you take money and put it in savings. Saving don't happen when you spend money. Write it down. If I'm spending, I ain't saving. Now, I love a sale. <laughs> you know, sales are great. Matter of fact, we're a funny bunch. I used to work at, uh, y'all remember the old open air market on William Street? I used to work there and, um, when I was 16 years old. Had a 30-inch waistline, head full of hair. And um, 68 Mustang. Yeah. And... Um, we would have a, a can of beans on the shelf for 20 cents a can. Nobody buy it. We'd take all those cans out, throw them in a big box, and put four for a dollar. I think we just raised the price, and we couldn't keep them because it was a glory. Come on, y'all, wake up. Smell to Starbucks. <laughs> savings means you're putting money into a savings account. If you want to break the habit of impulse buying, everybody get ready. I'm going to say a very ugly word. I'm going to say a very ugly word, very ugly. If you want to break the habit of impulse buying, budget. Y'all calm down. I'll wait for the amens to go down, then I'll keep preaching. I know we don't like to think about it. It's a foreign word, but a budget, you know what all a budget is? Planned spending. It's planned spending. A budget is telling your money where to go. That's like the way that sounds. <laughs> telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. If Barney Fife was a financial advisor, he would say, nip it in the budget. 
nip it in the budget. How do we stop impulse buying? you got to nip that impulse. That's where you'll nip impulse buying, when you do the budget. Plan your spending. The second reason we keep getting in debt is because we don't keep good records. We don't keep good records. Let me tell you something to do. Buy you a little 25 cent, 29 cents. You know, there's little pads that you got, little spiral thing. You can get those for about a quarter. Get you a little 10 cent ink pen, and it's amazing. The weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. And every time, just go through a week, and every time you buy something, write down. I mean, if you go through Starbucks window, write it down. If you go through McDonald's and get that $1 uh, cheeseburger thing, y'all can tell I know about that. Um, write that down. Write everything down. You buy a pack of gum, write it down. And you will look, at, and you will be shocked at what you spend on little piddly stuff and how it adds up. You'll be shocked. I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to do that. Keep good records. Look what it says in Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interest closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, this was written back in a time, of course, as I've told you before, when the main industry was farming. So he, he compares it to flocks and herds. And in those days, the entire asset of a rancher or farmer was wrapped up in his flocks and herds. So that's why he uses that. Back then, he said, know the state of your flocks. Today, he would say to us, know the state of your stocks. Watch your money. Watch it. Watch where it's being spent. Keep track. Know where it's going. Be aware of how you're using it. You'd be surprised that the people come to me and go, Pastor Farrell, I just don't know where it goes. I just don't know where it goes. Let me give you an an equation. Remember this equation. It's very powerful. Ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. Ignorance, not knowing where your money is, not knowing where your money's going, not thinking about your spending. That's ignorance plus easy credit, credit cards, credit cards, equals disaster. Proverbs 23, 23, get the facts. At any price, know the facts. Four things you need to know. Number one, you need to know what you own. That's your assets. You need to know what you owe. That's your debts. You need to know what you earn. That's your income. And you need to know how you're spending it. Those are four things. If you're ever going to get your financial house in order, you've got to know those four things. You've got to keep your eye on those four things. If you're keeping good records on these four things, you're, you're not going to be headed for disaster. You've got to keep records on these four things. If you don't, you're never going to get out of debt. Hey, listen, if you don't, I mean, you can just ignore this sermon. But if you don't do something, God cannot put his hand on your finances. And remember what I told you. You can dedicate it all to him all you want to, but if you're not going to give him 10% and you're not going to save and you're not going to pay the people you owe, then God can't put his hand on your money. you got to do them all. Hey, listen, I'm preaching to me here too. Be aware of your finances. Be realistic about your financial situation. How bad is it? Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. How much debt are you in? Most marriages get into trouble because one of the two spouses... They're keeping the other one in the dark about stuff they're buying, stuff they're purchasing. You know the story I've told y'all before. The lady 
who went out and her and her husband had decided they weren't going to buy anything over $50 without talking to each other. He comes home after work one day. There's a dress laying on the bed, $200. He walks in there and goes, what in the world's going on? She starts crying and says, the devil. She said, I was in the store, saw it on the rack, and the devil spoke to me and said, get that. He said, the devil, she said, I'm telling you, it was overwhelming. He said, you're a Christian. Why didn't you say, get thee behind me? She said, I did. He told me it looked good from the back, too. <laughs> you got to write it down, keep a log, keep good records. You say, I ain't got time to do all that stuff. Well, let me ask you something. Do you have time to sit around and worry? Because if you got time to sit around and worry about your money, what if you took that energy and got your stuff together in front of you so you could look at it and know what's going on in your financial world? You say, I ain't got time for all that. And we sit around and stare off into space because we are worried to death. Take the time you spend in worry and invest it in knowing the four things I just went over. What were those four things? Know what you owe. Know what you own. Know what you earn and know how you're spending it. Those are the four things you got to know. you got to know. All right? If you don't know how to do a budget, we'll help you. We'll help you. Call the church. we got some people who will help you. And they'll meet with you and help you set up a budget. All right, let's close with this final one. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. So what does God want us to do? Dedicate it all to him. Give the first 10% back to him. Then start saving, we talked about that, and then pay the people you owe. And the fifth thing he wants you to do is enjoy what you have. You say, Pastor, what does, what does that mean? It means learn to be content. Learn to just be content. You know, some people just literally get a high when they go shopping. I run into people and say, how y'all doing? Good, man. I go, what have you been doing, shopping? Shopping. <laughs> cool. Peace. You know? It's like the 60s. The principle of contentment. If you don't learn contentment, you're never going to stick with these other four principles. You say, where's that in the Bible? Glad you asked. Ecclesiastes 6 and 9. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Man, I know people who are so busy trying to get more they can't even enjoy what they just bought. I know people who are so wrapped up in keeping up with other people and keeping up appearances and not letting their neighbors and their family get ahead of them on, on vehicles and houses and other things that they can't even enjoy what God has blessed them. How must this hurt the heart of God when he gives us so many things but we are so Wanting more all the time that we don't even hardly say thank you for what he's given us. We don't even enjoy what he's given us because we don't want anybody to get ahead of us, have something shiny or sparkly, more sparkling, more, you know, have a little gizmo on it. Ours don't have on it. And, you know, we, I know people, I know people who are just miserable all the time. They have beautiful homes, nice, they got money in the bank but they're miserable because somebody else has got more than they have. They cannot even enjoy their family. They cannot even enjoy their beautiful home 
because they are so jealous of anybody who has more than they have. God is saying, be content. Be content. Here's what Americans do. Through stages. Here's stage one. Your yearnings exceed your earnings. Your yearnings exceed your earnings. Stage two, you go out and buy it anyway. Stage three, you have to hustle constantly now to make ends meet. So you're working two jobs or whatever. Come home ill. Y'all know what ill is, not sick. I mean, just ticked off. Come home aggravated. Come home, you know, just really hard to get along with. You walk in the door and then the home life begins to break down. Amen. Amen. That's it right there. Look at that. Don't come up in a year from now and go, I wish I'd known that. I'm telling you now. Are your yearnings exceeding your earnings? And if your yearnings exceed your earnings, stop right there and go, i got to get a hold of myself and learn Ecclesiastes 6 and 9 to stop wanting more than I can pay for because it's going to lead to number two where you go out and buy it anyway. And it's going to lead to number three where you're having now to catch up and work harder and you're under more pressure and you're having to put in more hours. And then all of a sudden you're not paying attention to your wife and you're not paying attention to your children. You're not paying attention to your husband. And all of a sudden the marriage begins to break down. Absentee parents are so busy making a living they don't have time to make a life for their family. Kids don't need more things. They need you. They need you. That's what they need. They need your time. They, need, they don't need the latest video game, the latest gizmo. They need you, Mom, Dad. They need you to, you know, my boys, I remember when my boys were little, we, we would take vacations, and I'd want to take them to these amusement parks. And I remember one day, um, I'm going to try not to cry because I, I wish my boys were still little because I could beat them. But, <laughs> but um, I remember one day we were in this amusement park. I mean this incredible, amazing amusement park. And I was just so happy for my boys because as a kid, I didn't, I didn't, excuse me, I didn't get to do those kind of things. First of all, there weren't many amusement parks. And secondly, we couldn't afford them if there were. So I never got to go. So I took my boys. And, you know, I tried to live my life. Y'all, you done that with your kids? You know, you weren't real good at football, but you're going to make your kid who loves dance, you're going to make him be a football player. <laughs> Just leave him alone let the boy dance. He's all right. All right, now listen. So, so I was, we were in that amusement park. And we'd been there three or four hours, and the boys were tired. And Brandon, who's about that high, came up and tugged on my shirt. I looked down. I said, yep. What is it? He said, are we going to leave here in time to go back to the hotel and throw the football? He said, are we going to leave here early enough? Will it still be... Will it still be daytime, Daddy? So when we get back to the cat, we were staying in a little cabin. When we get back to the cabin, we can go out in the yard and throw the football. <clears throat> That's what your kids need. 
we live hectic, hurried, hustling lifestyle. We're overworked because we're overextended financially. And we keep saying it's only temporary. And we listen to the pastor preach about we need to get a hold of our finances. And we think he's talking to somebody else. And he's talking to us. And about the time we figure things out, the kids are gone. They're gone and we missed it. God uses money to test our spiritual maturity. See, we, we, we think, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We thought spiritual maturity was um, how much noise you made at church. Uh, you know, you know, Pentecostals, I mean, I grew up, knew it all my life, and nothing wrong with that, but we just, it just, you know, you're human, so you get to the point where, well, now, when that person did that, they were considered very spiritual by the church, so if I do something a little beyond that, they'll think I'm really spiritual. And I saw people shout, and I saw people speak in tongues, and I saw people do incredible things, but then I'd look up on the offering board, and there'd be two or three hundred people in that church, and the offering would be $1,200. What's wrong with this picture? Because spiritual maturity is gauged by how you spend your money and how you look at your money and how you use your money. God uses money to determine spiritual maturity. And all those things are fine. You can rejoice and man, God moved at the bridge last night in a great way and people are just praising God. It's powerful. I'm not against those things. But you can't cover up the fact that you're not doing the right thing with your money by spiritual calisthenics. Here's what Jesus said about that in Luke 16, 11. He said, if you have not been trustworthy with handling money, paper money, worldly wealth, he said, then who's going to trust you with true riches? What are true riches? Spiritual stuff. God said, if I can't trust you to do the right thing with the paper money, the coins I give you, how in the world can I trust you with true, eternal, spiritual riches? God says to us in that verse, Luke 16, 11, he says, I look at how you manage the resources I've put in your hands. He said, and that's how I determine how much I can bless your life. Next Sunday is big day for us here at Whitley Church. Next Sunday is um, offering fit for a king. Now here's what I'm asking you to do next Sunday. If you don't tithe, I want you to tithe that day. Now the reason I do is because Malachi chapter 3 says, God says, test me. Remember? Bring it. God says, bring it. Test me. God says, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. As a matter of fact, one version says, I will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing. You cannot contain. Now, nobody's going to find out or nobody's going to know. Pastor Farrell's not going to know. None of the staff are going to know. Nobody's going to police you on this deal. But next Sunday, I'm asking, if you're not a tither, I want you to tithe next Sunday. Put God to the test. If you are a tither... Millie and I, are, we've tithed for many years. We're going to give something extra. I'm asking my tithers, God bless you first. Thank you so much 
for tithing consistently. But let me just ask you this. Would you give a little something extra next Sunday? We do this once a year. Test God. Test Him. And number three, I want to speak to a small group of people here today who are miracle makers. I call them miracle makers. These are people who have been blessed, especially financially. They have just been blessed abundantly financially. Some of you could write a check for $1,000 instead of $100. Somebody here could write a check for five or 10000 maybe even more. And I've never done this before, but I'm putting out a challenge to my miracle makers out there. You know how we spend the money in this church. We don't have a bunch of money somewhere with mold on it that we're not going to ever use. We spend the money for ministry around here. We spend it on children. We spend it on outreach. We spend it on missionaries. We spend it on getting the word of God out. And I just know there's got to be some people in our church that I refer to as miracle makers who can write a really big check and make a really big difference in what we're trying to do here at Whitley Church. It'll be between you and God. Nobody's going to know anything. But I just put the challenge out there. God wants to do greater things through us than he's doing. Let's show him our hearts in the right place. And let's do the right thing with our money. I'm going to be right there with you. Look, I'm one of you. This challenge I'm putting out falls right on me. It's on my shoulders. I'm not dumping this on you. It's all of us together showing God that our heart's in the right place because our money is in the right place. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We ask you that what has been said here today, I know it's been straight up. I know it's probably even made people a little bit uncomfortable because money's uncomfortable. It's like preaching on, it's like when we preached on hell. It, it's not a hard thing to talk about. It's not a, or it's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to, to hear about, but it's so necessary. God, we just ask you to bless our hearts and touch our hearts. Speak to our hearts about this coming weekend. I'll be preaching a message this coming weekend on a church that gave an offering fit for a king. And that's what I challenge Whitley Church to do as well. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Now hold just one second. If you want prayer, we're going to hang around up here at the front. If you want prayer for healing, if you want prayer for salvation, if you've got questions about what I preached on, if you've got questions about Jesus, we're going to hang around right up here at the front and we're going to minister to you. First timers, pick up your bagging information before you leave. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. And thank you for letting me preach the word of God. Thank